Hello and welcome everyone to Game Masters, a weekly show that airs live every Thursday afternoon on Hyper RPG's Twitch channel. I'm sitting down with Dungeon Masters, Game Masters, Story Crafters, Keepers, Guides, Narrators, Lore Masters, Referees, Moderators, and Hollyhock Gods to talk about what it takes to lead a group through a story, what brought them to the table, and so much more. Joining me today is <coughs> Kyle Shire. Coughing right on his name. I'm so sorry. Coughing about that. right on his name. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle is a self proclaimed big softy. Originally from Chicago, Illinois, he's been a comedian for 10 years. He's been on Laughs On on Fox, Amazon's Out on Stage. He was also over at Machinima for 2.5 years. Mm-hmm. I like that you said 2.5. 2.5, just so that you know. I'm not going to round up. Okay, yeah. all right, fair. You need to know fair. the exact time that I was there for. Yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> I, I appreciate that you don't round up. No, I don't. Uh, don't <laughs> very honest. Don't want to oversell mid- your accomplishments. It's a Midwestern thing. Currently, he's the mayor of Colock, Washington, and he's creating his own deck-building game, Princess Brawl, and his own comedic RPG, The Real Rich Ladies, an RPG parody of The Real Housewives. He's GMing two games currently, a Shadowrun Anarchy campaign and a D&D Ravnica campaign. If there was a spirit award given to Magic the Gathering players that constantly show up and fail at tournaments, he would be the recipient of said reward. It's true. Thank you for joining me at the table, Kyle. Thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for being here. I love you repping the Red Ranger so much. It, well, it's just we have things left over from past... Pro- it's the IP life. Sure, yeah. Okay? Uh, everything we own is something that's been given to us from a brand that we've worked with. Yeah. All of my shirts are either plain and blank or a logo of someone I've worked with. That's fair. And no. that is the life of... I don't even. I don't. I was about to. I was about to utter the word influencer, and I just vomited in my mouth a little bit. That's okay. I vomited for you. Okay, I, thank I felt you. it coming. You felt it coming out. And I was like, oh. He's gonna say influencer. Oh, I oh God. It. No. Uh, no. Power Rangers was such was like huge for me. Like in, incredibly influential. Like yeah. Total sexual awakening with uh, uh, the Red Ranger. So we are getting right into it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right into it. Red sexual Ranger, awakening with the Red Ranger. Red Ranger and Commander Riker. Like those were the big. Those were the big two. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Jonathan, have you have you met the original Red Ranger? Uh, Austin St. John? Yeah. I have not. Would you like me to introduce you? <laughs> <laughs> no. You can't do that. He's, where? Is this like Ellen? Is he going to just pop up? <laughs> like, and no. Oh, no. oh, my God. <laughs> no. I would lose my shit. Oh, that's amazing. Good <laughs> oh, also, to know. Is swearing gonna... okay? Or... Yeah, sure. It's okay, fine. Cool. Right, it's I'll fine. Try, I'll try to keep it at a minimum. We'll keep it at a minimum. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm trying really hard because I have a filthy sailor mouth. It's yeah, the too. worst. Um, again, it's that Midwest hospitality also comes with the Midwest potty mouth. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. So thank you again for coming out to join us today yeah. on Game Masters. I, I'm excited to talk to you about games yeah, and me too. also running games. Yeah. How long have you been doing this? Uh, how long have I been running games for? Yeah. Uh, since college. Since yeah. college. Those. Well, I don't want to age you right here, but how long have you been doing that? I'm 31. Uh, so I was in college, uh, what, like 10 years ago? Something like that? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'd say about 10 years. That's a lot longer than I've been running game. Well, uh, you know, some That's people awesome. are just better at it. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, uh, when I was running it with my friends, uh, I was running um, D&D 3.5. Okay. Uh, that was the first thing that I ever ran. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I kind of have like a soft spot for, for, for that, for 3.5. For old school 3.5. For, for old it's school, not that old school. Or as people call it now, Pathfinder, but whatever. Very true. Mm. New edition of Pathfinder just came out, right? It did, yeah. Hmm. You looked into that at all? Not yet. 
Not yet. Did you ever make that shift from D and D three point five to Pathfinder? I, I haven't yet because all of my friends now are playing fifth edition, so I, I haven't really like done a deep dive into that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested in it. So when you were running games in college, was yeah. this just a exploratory thing? Like, what brought you yeah. to it? Uh, my roommate Rob in college, Rob Singer. If you're out there listening, uh, he's my like. We, we had, like, a foursome in our uh, uh, go dorm on. room. Yeah, go, go on. Uh, and uh, me and Rob uh, had the same room. And, uh, yeah, we, we were, like, the mom and dad of, like, the whole thing. And he was, like, super into D&D. He's who, the one who introduced me to it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I had my, my first... My first character ever was a psionic Kalashatar uh, named Dahlia, uh, who was basically an Emma Frost ripoff. Okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's, that's how I got into it. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, he got really sick uh, and, like, wasn't able to run the the campaign one time and so he basically gave me an outline of where he wanted to go with this one session and so i basically ran like a little one shot for him cool that was the first time and that was your gateway drug that was my gateway drug it was the best where did where did that lead you where did that take you uh where did that take me um I, basically, there was like a slumbering period shortly after I moved to L.A. when it came to running games uh, because I didn't have anyone out here. It takes here. a while to find your tribe, right? It really does. Uh, it's, it's, um, it, it's important to find people that are into it as much as you are and also have the same play style as you because, you know, I've definitely... There, there were definitely times where I experimented with people that I met with when I first moved out here that said they were into D&D and I would try to run something and it would end disastrously. Uh, mm. Just ask Riley Silverman, who was at one of those. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we won't get into that. Okay. <laughs> it was a disaster. It was not a good session. Uh, but eventually, uh, I found um, uh, a good friend out here who was uh, decided he wanted to run a campaign. And so we ran with him for about a year. Uh, and then I was like, you know what? I want to get back into it. So when Ravnica came out, uh, I was like, I want to do that. So I, I uh, started uh, up with Ravnica, and before that, I was also running Shadowrun, Shadowrun mm -hmm. Anarchy. So you're a Shadowrun guy. I'm a huge Shadowrun guy. Really? Yeah, I love Shadowrun. What draws you to Shadowrun? Out of curiosity, <sighs> I love it's. To be honest, it's my favorite campaign setting of any RPG. Okay. Um, I love it because it is super extra. Very uh, extra. It's very extra. The uh, story-wise, I don't want to get. I don't want to like crap on the mechanics too much. Those are also very extra. You can say that here. There's a reason why I run Shadowrun Anarchy. Uh, so <laughs> for those of you who don't know, uh, Shadowrun 5th Edition and the Shadowrun Edition that just came out, um, they have a very specific audience mm -hmm. that craves a certain amount of crunch, a lot of crunch, yeah. uh, to the mechanics. And um, I personally don't find those mechanics to be very welcoming, and I also find them to be kind of just cumbersome and... Uh, how much it weighs down the wonderful world that they've created. Yeah. Um, I also love it because, uh, I mean, cyberpunk is super fun to play with, and I feel like we're headed towards a dystopian cyberpunk future, but just without the magic, unfortunately. Um, uh. Yeah. <laughs> right? Without the magic. Without the magic. Well, um, all the worst parts. Yeah. I also love... Uh, taking ideas and kind of reinventing them in cool, clever ways. And I think Shadowrun did such a cool thing with that, with like, you know, uh, in, in case you don't know about Shadowrun, uh, it's a world where um, uh, uh, basically magic ebbs and flows. And so there was a period of time right now where magic was dead. And then uh, around 
2012, uh, magic returned and there was a resurgence of it and people started mutating into orcs and elves and dragons reawakened and magic came back. And so this takes place like 70 years in the future. So it's like cyberpunk, magic, matrix stuff, all that nonsense. Like the Wachowskis had to actually license the term matrix from the, from the people that were, that owned Shadowrun at the time. So like that, it, it has DNA in a lot of very popular things. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I loved it because like, you know, there's a, there's a dragon named Lafwer that owns one of the big 10 companies. Yep. And so that's a really cool inversion of the idea of like a dragon that sits on a hoard of treasure. You know, I think that stuff's really cool. It's a dragon sitting on a hoard of corporate interests. Of corporate interests. It makes total sense. Yeah. It makes total sense. Uh, we, we have a lot of experience with Shadowrun here at Hyper. and uh, uh, Yeah, corporate sins, right? Yeah. I watched. You watched I way did. back when. That's I did amazing. watch, yeah. Years ago. This feels like another life. Yeah, it was. This very, very, you guys have gone through a lot of evolutions. <laughs> we have, always, constantly <laughs> evolving. So let's jump right into some aspects of storytelling that I'd love to cover. Let's do it. What kind of stories interest you the most? What are you drawn to? Um, I'm drawn to stories that have a lot of espionage. I'm drawn to stories that have a lot of intrigue. Above all, I'm really into stories that um, force really good role-playing. That's one of the reasons why I love Anarchy so much. Uh, Anarchy is like Shadowrun, but the rules are pared down, and mm -hmm. it is all about uh, um, role-playing really well and not so much about the, the crunchy mechanics. Uh, and so with that, one of, the, one of the best things I've ever done as a GM, in my opinion, um, I had this one character... The guy who was playing it is actually the DM for our uh, normal Dungeons and Dragons game. And he's kind of like this old, you know, that old fox. He's been around RPGs for a while and you can't really surprise him. You know, he kind of sees things coming a mile away. And uh, the best thing that I ever did, and I will never forget this moment, was uh, I, he plays an elf character in our world. And uh, there was a moment where uh, he found out that he's actually an immortal elf and has this entire backstory and was like asleep for 500 years. And uh, yeah, it completely surprised him. And it was the best moment ever to just see his face go completely white and just realize like, oh yeah, all of those like idiosyncrasies and personality defects that you've been throwing out there, I've been taking note of them and I've given you a reason why. Like you might've just like, you know, thought like, oh yeah, he's a, he's a drunk, he's a drug addict, you know, all this stuff. And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh no, there's a reason for that <laughs> because you're trying to bury memories of being an immortal elf. So I love stories that are able to uh, uh, make people um, uh, realize that there's a lot more to their character than they walk in with. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, what excites you about performing? And, I, and then I want to merge these two questions because <laughs> you come... It sounds like you started doing um, Dungeons and & Dragons and GMing about 10 years ago in college. Yeah. Did you also start doing stand-up and performing around the same time? I did, actually. Uh, I started doing stand-up. I dabbled in it when I was in Chicago before I moved to L.A. And then when I moved to L.A., I realized that I just I love stand-up. I love being able to... Uh, uh, read an audience. I love being able to uh, uh, make that connection. I tried improv. I'm not an improv person. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I, I've, I've done, I did UCB. I did IO. I did uh, uh, Annoyance back in Chicago. Would and it upset you if I said you feel like an improv person? Not at all. No, okay. no, no. Uh, I, when it comes to comedy, when it comes to performing, uh, specifically in like an improv space, I have like a lot of uh, I feel like I feel like I've been doing stand up too long to where like if I'm in an improv situation I have to like go for the joke and that was the note I would get over and over again in improv classes is like Kyle you're writing on stage stop writing on stage and uh, yeah 
that's really hard to kick when you're a comedian and your jokes are a formula and yeah, things like come and go and you just kind of have to like go for the funniest thing. Whereas improv requires you to be in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so it, when it's stuff like post ghost where like, you know, it, it is improvised, but it's a lot more grounded. There's a building block there. Yeah. You're getting your words to build your improv story on way ahead of time. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're able to sit in that character and sit in that world. Yeah. Improv is a very different beast, at least for the way it's performed on stage out here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's, yeah. there's a lot of, uh, it's very competitive Yeah, and it's very clicky <laughs> and I don't do well with clicks. I don't do well with like, so is D and D people. D and D is, I, I, I guess you're right. Yeah. Um, I guess like, okay, let me rephrase that D and D in a professional sense. Yes. Oh, for sure. Oh, in a professional sense, it absolutely is. Uh, but I do feel like there's no, no, you're probably right. No, it is pretty clicky. Uh, I don't know. I don't have that much experience with, uh, with the clicks other than watching them and yeah. <laughs> From the outside. From the outside Not looking being invited in. in. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, can I, can I come in please? But what excites you about getting up on stage and telling jokes? Like what, what, what part of you attaches to that and latches on? Um, I get really revved up when I'm watching, and this, and, and please don't take offense to this. Uh, I get really revved up when I see basic uh, white dudes. Not that you're a basic white dude. No, I am. But <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm as vanilla as they come. That's okay. Uh, but there's something about uh, the energy of a lot of the the dominant uh, demographic of comedians that just like revs me up and makes me go like I want to I want to do better than you so there some there's kind of like this weird uh, uh, energy that I get that builds up within me where I just want to like get up on stage and like prove that I can like piss on the stage better than they can uh, so, so you're being that. a very generic white guy about your about your accomplishing I mean, over I, I am a generic white guy but I got a little bit of, I got a little bit of sparkle so that's I okay I, I love it though because it's like it's such a typical like aggro male response to you know, like oh, I'm gonna get up there on stage and piss on it better my, my yeah I mean I guess it just comes from being underestimated by straight people my whole life so you know it's okay just, yeah I feel you uh, so there's there's a feeling of um, pride and, and accomplishment and, yeah. and wanting to achieve something to overcome some adversity of what you're seeing being portrayed within that space. Yeah. I mean, it also really helps if I hear a lot of really dumb gay jokes. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. typically when people see me, they don't think gay, they don't think, you know, Oh, that's a, you know, a, a queer person that I should be, you know, mindful of. They just kind of see another, uh, giant fat uh bearded guy uh and so they just think that i'm like a safe space around that but really i'm like absorbing everything and i'm like i'm gonna return all this energy to you <laughs> have you ever had any weird experiences where somebody before you've gone on stage has done those kinds of things around you and then you go on stage and they realize because of your act like oh oh yeah yeah and and i have tiny little mental orgasms whenever that happens <laughs> <laughs> you scan the room for them find I them lock scan in the room i walk on stage i take the mic and i do like one of my quick one two like so i'm gay and blah 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 and then the whole room just kind of like <sighs> sucks in and they all kind of turn to that one guy who's trying to pretend he's on his phone but he knows what's happening he's like i don't look up don't, don't look up don't, don't look, look up. up i just made a 30 minute set about gay <gasps> jokes uh, i swear to god those gay jokes do really well in reno mm. <laughs> 
So you said you've gone on tour before, too, mm-hmm. for your comedy. Yeah, yeah. What's that like? Uh, it's really fun. Well, uh, I, I, I've done cruises, uh, which was really fun. I got to do gay, uh, a gay cruise uh, for RSVP cruises. That was bananas. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I got to get paid to be on a cruise and do comedy. So that was really fun. Uh, I also did... Uh, be real with me. Yeah, go ahead. Are you allowed to say it wasn't fun? No, I've heard I, horror stories about cruises. I actually had a lot of fun. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I, I say that legitimately. Like I had a good time uh, performing on it. I was well paid. Uh, the uh, amenities were great, and uh, I met a lot of nice people. So Sweet. I would totally do it again. I don't think they're going to book me though. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> don't think they're going to do. I don't think they're doing comedians anymore. Actually. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, what um, from your experience of being a performer do you bring into your experiences as a game master? I think my experiences as a performer helped me a lot with um, uh, making sure that the characters that I'm portraying as NPCs feel real and feel honest. Um, I really try to pull as much uh, uh, performer so, so to speak, out of my uh, out of my players as possible, because some people that I play with are really into the role playing aspect, and some people aren't. And as much as I, uh, uh, sorry, my phone is. Go over there. Uh, some people are into the role-playing aspect more than others. Some mm-hmm. people have different styles of role-playing. Sometimes role-playing makes people feel uncomfortable. Um, I think that's the coolest aspect of it. And so um, one of my favorite things to do is to just, you know, like what I did with my friend Will and his character revealing that he's an immortal elf, uh, trying to find those like little emotional trigger points that I feel like they might have and then putting them in situations where they're forced to like have an emotional response to something and not just be like, I don't know, well, she punches them. You know, I feel like often our jobs are to be emotional manipulators. Yes. <laughs> but isn't that what being an entertainer is, too, in a way? Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's like being a bard, you know what I mean? You're controlling the emotion of the situation. Which I find interesting with game mastering because I feel like it's a little more nuanced than just being an entertainer. Like you're, you're having to like be so empathetic and in tune to what the people at the table are going for and and give them a little of what they want a little of what they don't want within yeah. that story and often as an entertainer i feel like we're allowed to be in a position where we're in kind of full control of our output uh and it's a premeditated kind of thing and then when you're at a game table it's much more you know organic and yeah it's interesting I haven't really dove much deeper into it than that, though. You'd have to ask a much <laughs> smarter person than myself. <laughs> so when you're crafting worlds yes. as a GM, or even as a comedian, mm-hmm. when you're crafting your worlds, where do you draw your inspiration? Let me think. Uh, I think that there, I mean, there are a lot of... Um, there are a lot of like movies and comics that I love to draw plot elements from. Um, I love... Uh, I, I obviously watch a lot of uh, TTRPGs on stream and whatnot, and um, one thing that I love is, is taking aspects of movies uh, or comics that I've never seen on stream before and then trying to work them in. Like uh, One of my favorite things that I ever did with my Ravnica campaign was uh, all of my Ravnica players are House Demir. Okay. Which are the spy masters of Ravnica. And uh, they basically got, there was a whole story arc where they got you know, made. If, if you're a Demir fan, that could explain a little bit of that <gasps> spirit award. Shade! The shade of it all! I'm Jesus Christ! Oh my God. All right. I roll Golgari right now, okay? okay. And that's probably still why I'm failing. Okay. But <laughs> I run like two color decks, and that's why I'm failing. I know, but I care about the game. It's fun. Um, but. Uh, also, House Demir decks are fun to play sometimes. Uh, 
But no, there was a, a, a story arc in, in my Ravnica game where my characters got made uh, and they, they were, uh, uh, their identities were revealed. They were sleeper cells within the Azorius Senate and uh, they had to fake their own deaths. And so the whole session was me trying to figure out ways to have them fake their own deaths and just throwing obstacles in their way. And that was something I'd never really seen on a stream before. Like, you're still your character, but you need to figure out a way to kill your character in a believable way that makes everyone in their life think that they're really dead. <laughs> that is fun. Yeah. That's yeah. fun. That's really cool. Writing that down. Go ahead. Fake the death. <laughs> it's a good one. There is no house to mirror. <laughs> I'm sorry. I looked at the chat. I'm yeah. trying not yep. to. Uh, what other forms of creation do you like to participate in outside of comedy and role playing? Uh, well, I, I'm currently working on a card game. Uh, right. So I'm, I'm working on that. I'm, I'm also working on an RPG, which is really fun. Um, what else do I create? Uh, now, I only <laughs> brought up those things in name. Yeah, so if you want to sure. dive a little bit deeper into them, tell, tell me a little bit more about this card game. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm working on a card game uh, that's a deck building game. It's called Princess Brawl. Uh, I've been working on it for about a year and a half. Uh, the initial inspiration for it is entire. It's, it's gone through a complete 180 in terms of how I've like changed it and shaped it and shaved it down and 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 gotten it into its most primeval state. Um, it's a deck building battle game where you play as badass versions of princesses, and uh, over the course of 12 turns, um, you basically battle it out and build a deck. And when the clock strikes midnight, whoever has the most clout and the most health remaining is crowned queen. Mm. Uh, and so you're playing as um, Cinderella, Snow White, uh, Briar Rose, um, o- Beauty. Only in likeness. Well, yeah, well, they're, they're public domain. So as long as you go with the public domain name and don't infringe upon any of the uh, big corporatized images associated with those characters, which I'm not because these are awesome, cool, badass versions right. of those princesses, uh, you're fine. Sweet. So that's cool. Uh, so yeah, so what else do I have? I said Beauty, Briar Rose, Snow White, Cinderella, uh, and Rapunzel. So those are my, those are my six. Uh, and uh, I've been working on that for over a year. And uh, I... I've just been having a lot of fun with it because, uh, as I said earlier, like I'm, I'm really into magic. I'm terrible at it, uh, but I, I definitely drew a lot of inspiration with a lot of the card mechanics um, from. Uh, I, I just really marvel at the way that uh, magic is able to um, constantly be trying new things and experimenting with new things and creating new mechanics that are fun and interesting, but don't feel like they break the game in a mm-hmm. way. Um, so that's, that's been really fun. That's been like a fun puzzle. And the, the other thing that I really love working on is trying to work in a narrative. Like, cause I feel like with some games, if you like, if you look at a game, like I think, um, uh, uh, wizards, D and D games, D and D board games do a good job of this. Where like, like if you play Lords of Waterdeep, uh, and you play a whole game of it and then you kind of like step back and unfocus your eyes like a magic eye painting, mm-hmm. you kind of see a little bit of a story, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Uh, and that's one thing that I really wanted to incorporate into this game is to really feel like you're playing as a princess. You have your own agenda. You have your own play style. You have your own uh, uh, agendas and how you choose to build your deck um, is representative of how your princess rises to this occasion. Um, so that's one thing that I really wanted. And uh, obviously writing the flavor text at the bottom was my favorite thing ever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like my Snow White, for example, my Snow White is like a crime boss. She's like okay. this like evil insidious crime boss lady. And one of my favorite cards of her is body double. So it's basically like if you attack her, you flip over this card, you just activated my trap card. Uh, and it negates the damage. And the, the text at the bottom is um, beautiful black haired girls with ruby red lips are easy to come by. <laughs> 
So that's my that's my card game. <laughs> it's lovely. Uh, <laughs> so tell me about the RPG you're also working on, the real rich ladies. The real rich. So while Princess Brawl is marinating, uh, trying to get funding for a uh, the enough assets for a Kickstarter, which should be launching in uh, spring of 2020. Uh, right now, just for funsies, I'm working on an RPG that's um, sort of a. I, I love the Real Housewives. Uh, I know that this is probably an unpopular position, but I legitimately love them. I'm uh, okay with you liking trash. You can like as much trash as you I, want. I, I just eat it like like garbage. It's so good. Uh, also, one of uh, one of my old bosses was an executive producer on uh, Beverly Hills and Orange County. Oof. So I got all the inside dirt on oh, all wow. of my favorite characters, which was amazing. Uh, and so I I wanted to originally I wanted to do one for RuPaul's Drag Race. But that's a little bit more difficult because it's Drag Race is a uh, a set system within itself, mm -hmm. and so it's it, it, it's going to probably be a module that I'll apply to this later gotcha. on. Uh, but um, uh, Housewives is much much easier as far as how I've like constructed this. So the basic idea is that every housewife, every player has a track, and it's set by popularity and sanity. And everyone starts at five. And then as you uh, role play and as the story progresses, your popularity and sanity may increase or decrease. Okay. If one of those goes to zero, you're kicked off the show. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And if you make it to, you know, it, the, the whole game is to be as popular as possible and oh, wow. maintain yourself throughout the seasons. But you can't. Okay. So question for you, just from a mechanic standpoint. Um, that sounds a little combative. It but at the be. same point, <laughs> if it just comes out straight competitive, are each other kind of helping with each other's popularity? See, here's... To here's, keep it from just being one person, like, I'll burn it all. I'll burn it all down. Yeah, yeah. Fair. Um, here's, here's what I'll say to that. If anyone here watches Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, I think that there's someone on the cast that does a really good job of this, and that's Lisa Vanderpump. I don't know who that is. That's fine. She's a very fabulous British lady who okay. lives in Beverly Hills. She okay. has a million animals. I'll hit her up. Yeah, she's cool. Uh, but she does this thing, and I swear to God, it's premeditated where she will start some controversy with someone, but she does it in such a way that's so transparent that she gets that she purposefully gets called on it, and then she acts like it doesn't happen at all, and then she again tries to double down by conspicuously trying to cover up that. So it's kind of like this weird three-dimensional chess game that she's playing with the with the TV show because I, I think from a role-playing standpoint, it's the reality show is an interesting thing to explore because the show itself is a game. Yeah. And <laughs> there's know? a format. Absolutely. Yeah. There's yeah. a format. There's, yeah. It, it, they go on two trips a season, you know, and they're always are like, let's just have a girl's weekend in Maui. And it's like the production's paying for that. Like you, they're, they're <laughs> paying you to go there so you can start some, some shit in, in Maui or whatever the, wherever the are hell they go. Me? The producers are like, we're going to Maui this season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. That's, that's exactly what they are. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying not to look. <laughs> I'm trying not to look at the chat. It's hard, right? When, it's so, when hard. so many things we do on this channel are directly influenced by. Yeah, I'm like, what do they think? Am I am I blowing this? Oh, 100 percent. Okay, cool. Get in your All head. Right, cool. What other systems are you excited about in the world of tabletop RPGs? You know, especially as a person who's GM'd and now creating one. <coughs> what systems have you looked into? Have you explored, or that you want to explore that you've heard about and you want to you want to check them out? Um, new systems as in games, like as in like specific games? Uh, yeah, systems outside of D&D. Systems outside of D&D. Um, well, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I still have not explored Shadowrun 6th Edition, which has come out. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I know why they should. 
Um, a lot why do you have to be? Why do you say that in a way that you're afraid people will be upset with you? Uh, I know a few people that worked on it at Catalyst. Okay. Um, and uh, I also know some people that write the the um, the novelizations, um, and they're lovely, lovely people. Uh, and I, I I should look at it. I haven't yet, but I know I should. Um, also, I've just heard some shaky things about it. Okay. Uh, so that's troublesome. Uh, but I definitely should. Uh, as far as like other systems that I would like to try out, um, I actually really want to get into World of Darkness uh, because that's like that's one aspect of because I've larped with it, but I've never like actually sat down and done the dice. Okay, you know, so like the world is incredible and really uh, deep and interesting, but I've never actually sat down to learn the system. And my boyfriend is like super into it. Like okay. that was, that was, that was what got him into tabletop RPGs as a was as world a, of darkness, world of darkness. Yeah. I've vamp- never checked it out myself. Vampire, the masquerade, werewolf, the apocalypse, changeling, the dreaming. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he, he actually wants to run a changeling, the dreaming campaign with uh, me and a few friends. And I'm really excited about that. Sweet. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a good classic, you know, it's like tabletop classic. I'm typically just completely honestly, and I'll probably, I'm wondering, I don't even really know who the target audience is for this (laughs) podcast. That's fine. Not many people are listening to it yet. I think we had like 30 downloads. So uh, I don't really know who the target is, and I'm sure I could upset some people by my lack of knowledge on certain RPG systems, which is partly why I wanted to do this. Yeah. Other people spend the time researching other things. It's impossible to research everything. Absolutely. Uh, and to be able to talk to people who have those experiences and see what do you, you know, people I trust, what do they like? Yep. And what are they into? I'm kind of against a lot of the older systems just because my brain doesn't work that way. Sure. I am very much more narrative-based as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I need a lot of pictures. And I need a lot of yep. visual representations. I love pictures. Uh, I'm an artist. I'm a, I have a visual artist. Yeah. That is my background. So when I pick up certain old books, and it's just so text-heavy, yeah. and it's very graph-heavy, and mm-hmm. it's very uh, table-heavy, mm-hmm. I immediately shut down. My yep. brain just can't deal with it. It feels like I'm back in math class, and I have this pressure sitting over the top of me. And I don't know how to respond. How did how how did Shadowrun Corporate Sins work for you then? Because no, I didn't jam it. I know you did it, but I would, like, there's there no was, way I would jam there's it. There's so much like as math a producer, in that. It's as a crazy. producer, uh, I think one of the you know the strongest things you can ever do is hire the right people for the job. And they did a great job. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to do it. There's no fucking way it's I would do it. It's just so dense. I can't with it. It's I wouldn't so... even play if someone asked me to play. I'd be like, no, you can find somebody better. Yeah, find somebody better. I'll just give you guys an example. In that system that they ran, so there's a there's a mechanic for swimming, and there's an entire Entirely separate mechanic for treading water. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Why? Who wants that? Like, who's like, well, are you swimming or are you treading water? I don't know. Let me pull out this 500 page manual and figure out what the right, who does that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Who wants that? Who? Is it you? So in my, in my mind, I imagine just saying like, ah, just r- r- roll a D6. What do you get? Right? You know? <laughs> That's all that it should why, be. Why are we taking so long to figure this out? It's so bad. Like, um, what's the damage range for this shotgun? I don't know. It's a cone. I don't, it's I don't a shotgun. It's lower. Chick, chick, boom. I don't know. <laughs> were you standing next to them? No, they were further away. Yeah, it fails. Yeah, it's fails. <laughs> I don't care. Let's just advance the story. Uh, well, you know, and that will upset some people. I don't want to say anyone's fun is wrong. No, no, I'm no. Saying it absolutely is My isn't. brain doesn't work that way. I can't respond to things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never want to, but this is showing my hand a little bit. Go ahead. Um, you know, and I feel like in a lot of ways 
I am responsible for a lot of the changes in this stuff. And I, I love that the Critical Role team gets so much hate for it because I'm like the one that put them on air and was pushing them to be more story driven and less mechanic driven. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yes, yes. They take the heat, not me. They take the heat. Um, so I do feel partly responsible for a lot of the shift that a lot of people are upset about. Uh, but that makes sense to me because I got brought in as a, a filmmaker yeah. and, a, and a painter and was told to make RPGs work for public consumption and an audience. Yeah. So That's incredibly hard. <laughs> right. <laughs> so hard to let's do. Let's be real. It's kind of boring. It's, it's so much fun to play. Yeah, absolutely. Not when you're in it. It's fun to watch. Yeah, when you're in it, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. It's the best thing in the world. I get a dopamine 100%. high from it. Like 100%. But it doesn't mean that it's fun to watch. So yeah. I admittingly took a lot of liberties mm -hmm. to, to try to make something really enjoyable to be perceived as an entertainment experience mm -hmm. while still being true to its heart. Yeah. That to me is always the goal. Like as long as the heart's there, yeah, then then hopefully it works. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't want to say that anyone ever could be playing a game wrong if that's how they and their group want to play it. Yes, if that's the group consensus, that's awesome. I don't want to yuck anyone's yums. You know, like that's not how I. But it's just it. It can be frustrating when you're like. I don't know, trying to expand a fan base for something mm -hmm. and people are consistently saying the same thing over and over again. Yeah. You know, change this, change that, simplify this, simplify that. And, and people just aren't listening. And it makes you wonder, like, who are you making this game for? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, there's a lot of people. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, we don't have access to a lot of those numbers. Yeah. And I think there is a big hesitation to. I, no, you know, I will, I will play devil's advocate here. Go ahead. Let's which do I it. love doing. And a lot of times you're not going to know what I really feel about something. But I'm Keanu Reeves. Do it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so a lot of times people make requests for things publicly. And they, yes. will, they will publicly tell certain companies to make certain changes. Do this, do that. Are those the same people that are actually going to purchase the product? Probably not. That's fair. That's very fair. And the people that are going to purchase those things are going to buy the new systems that excite them anyway. Mm -hmm. Redoing Shadowrun all over again uh, to make changes towards a newer audience is probably a bad move because those newer people that they're trying to reach are going to be like, Shadowrun, isn't that that thing that has been around forever? Yeah. What's this new thing? Yeah. And they're going to go for that anyway. Mm -hmm. So why spend all this time and energy? I think they did the right thing by changing the queue system to work with Anarchy. Yes. To just say, we'll just release a side thing that's different and can appeal to the newer people mm -hmm. while still keeping the same track going. Yeah. Because if you destroy your original fan base, I imagine that's a big hit to your bottom line. Yes. And I do know with our communities, there's a lot of people, uh, even from a producing standpoint, we encounter this. People make a lot of requests for things and a lot of demands for things, but that doesn't mean they're actually the ones that are going to show up and and purchase the product and interact with that product. Yep. Despite the fact that there's a lot of people yelling about it. Yeah. I think this happens a lot in cinema. It happens a lot in the shows we make and gaming and yep. things like that. So it's tough because at the end of the day, the numbers that you get back dictate your actions mm -hmm. and you almost have to start over and yep. it's almost easier to start over and start from scratch and build something new than to change something that you have all this like conflicting. Yeah. 
things I mean, about. It's, yeah, it's a, a capitalism 101. It's like it's it's way more expensive to get a new customer than yeah. to you know maintain the, the customers True. that you already have. I guess that does make sense. But right. I just love anarchy so much. Like, well, then you got anarchy. <laughs> yeah, you got anarchy. Why do you need Anar- to read the new Shadowrun? I, don't, I I guess I don't. Um, I would like to. I mean, maybe there are things that they're doing in it that I feel like are good pro- are good progress points. Okay. You know, but I don't know. It's just, anarchy is lovely. You guys should check it out if you want to get into Shadowrun. I I think anarchy is a good dip in the pool. You know, mm-hmm. you can at least get to know. The other thing is like you can always read the novels. Go out and read the novels. Kevin Zarnecki, who wrote Red uh, Crimson. Sorry, Crimson. Please read that. Uh, Rusty Zimmerman. Uh, read his stuff. It's really good. If you love good pulpy cyberpunky yeah. uh, uh, stuff like that, I do. It's it's my favorite thing uh, to read on like you know airports. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Like you know, it's like some people have beach reads. Like those are my beach reads. You know, they're just fun and uh, cool and surprisingly emotional. At I want to play. I want to play this game with you. Whenever you're chilling, mm-hmm. when you got some free time, whatever that is, okay. uh, what do you like to pick up and check out? Um, as far as like sitting down and playing? No, no, no. I mean like, like a book, whether it's an article, like what kind of stuff do you gravitate towards when it's like you time? Uh, so we're we talking just games or reading? Reading. Reading. Uh, I love, I love, um, uh, I mean, I'm a huge Game of Thrones nerd. Um, I'm really, I just started, I just started reading this one kind of pulpy fantasy thing called, uh, the night angel trilogy. Okay. Uh, I love kind of pulpy fantasy nonsense. That makes me happy. So that's your airport read that's when my, you're sitting there waiting for a flight yeah. and you got to pass that hour that you're sitting there waiting. Mm-hmm. Pulpy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and I hope that people don't take that as an offense, like as Why an offensive they? term. I don't know. Like some people are like, I, I thought it was deeper than that. To, you know, I, I hope that that's not, I hope they don't take it like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because to me, I think like that's, that's uh, an art and it is, uh, it's, it's compelling. It keeps me turning the page. Uh, it's always paced really well. Um, yeah. People uh, don't give that stuff enough credit sometimes. They really don't. There is an art to making something extremely appealing and, um, Easy to follow and move forward with. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything negative about that at all. Young college me would have thrown a fit and tried to act really pretentious about it. But the older I get, the more I appreciate the art in simplicity and yeah. the art in reaching. It's hard to reach a broad audience. It is. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's hard to appeal to a lot of people and tell a story that can connect with many different people at a base level and still be enjoyable and fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, it's yeah. It, it can be it can be a real balancing act. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. As a player, yes. Since I know you play on a lot of people's games as well, mm-hmm. what do you feel like your responsibilities are at the table? You as Kyle Shire, what do you think you should be bringing to the table when you sit down? Um, first and foremost, um, uh, listening. I think that listening to what uh, a GM is giving you. Um, taking notes, whether however that looks to you, um, and uh, kind of like yes, anding like, to bring it, to bring it into improv terms, like you uh, always do. You always do. Uh, yes, and uh, I think that you know, definitely as an experience as someone that that has GM'd and has played before, I I get such a joy out of um, hearing a obscure little comment that I've thrown out there as a GM that a player has picked up on and gone like, well, wait a minute, what about this button that they told us not to press or something? You know, like I think that, uh, that's a huge thing as a player, uh, that I love to bring, um, just like showing a amount of respect for the time that people put in to a lot of, uh, uh, preparing tabletop RPGs. Cause okay. I don't think a lot of people realize how much time 
and blood, sweat and tears goes into making something like that, you know, like coming up with coming up with, first of all, a basic arc where you want your players to start and where you want them to end. And then trying to figure out like, well, here's like four possible four possibilities that they could go and then uh, really trying to keep them on that track. But when they get off that track, trying to flow with it as best you can. And I don't know, I think that listening is, is one of the biggest gifts that you can give to a GM as a player. Okay. Yeah. What do you think? I also try to be funny. You try to be funny? I try to be funny. If you're sitting down, you think, all right, they're going to look to me yeah. to, to be funny and to add some... To add some stupid shit. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you feel that's your responsibility, that's on you. I'm a codependent, so I love to just, you know, <laughs> I love to make people happy. Oh, okay. Well, I probably should have had Malika do this interview with you because she would have mm. validated that way more. Yay! She would have validated No, 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 that. it's okay. Now I'm hooked in more because now I'm even more interested in impressing you. So, oh, yeah. this is going like, to be a long show. I'm going to get you. You'll approve of me soon. <laughs> what do you think tabletop RPGs can learn from other disciplines? Uh, can learn from other disciplines. Yeah, uh, what do you think the world of tabletop RPGs needs to grow with and learn from, and where, what other disciplines can be a shining example for that? Um, other disciplines, I think, um, I mean, I actually never really played team sports growing up. As, okay. as I know that that might be shocking for some people considering my size. I was too gay uh, for a what lot does that of that. Mean? It was, I was I was having sex with a lot of the players, um, but yeah, I was I was converting them. Uh, no, I uh, anyway, uh, look, I made you laugh. Um, I think that uh, uh, there's just a lot in that. There's, there's a lot to unpack in that. A lot to, there was a lot to unpack. When you when you bring uh, up a, as a Midwest boy, <laughs> watching queer as folk, this is how people do it. Um, no. Uh, I think that there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of um, uh, the idea of like the group mind um, aspect of it that I think that um, uh, team sports probably encourages. Uh -huh. uh, there was a very embarrassing two year period where I tried to play rugby, uh, so that I definitely did see that there was that aspect of like trying to kind of like meld together and uh, uh, accomplish something. Um, yeah, I think I think that could also be really good. Give me an example of what you mean by disciplines. Other than that, was so, I on the right track with team sports? Sure, yeah, yeah. of course. Uh, you know, even say like, imagine writing mm -hmm. as a discipline, or oh, yeah. uh, or acting, or or the the act of you know even creating shows for TV or stand up comedy. You know, mm -hmm. are there are there things that tabletop RPGs that you read or you play that you go, oh, you know what would be good here? Some things from over here mm -hmm. and some things from over here. Because I think it's happening. Yeah. Yeah, I think right now tabletop RPGs are kind of like this great artistic expression of like just pull in stuff from everywhere. Sure, sure, sure. Where would you want to see stuff pulled in from? Um, I, in, in, in games that I play, I would love to see, uh, I would love to see more cryptography. I know that mm -hmm. that sounds really stupid and basic, uh, but, uh, I have a lot of friends that are really into that. I would love to see more like physical puzzles. Uh, I would love to see, um, honestly just more, uh, more earnest role play attempts. Um, I think that would be great. Um, I would also love to see, um, I don't know, uh, uh, just more, more of a, more of a, a, a conscious like effort to really up the stakes for what you're presenting. Okay, I think that was word salad, and I apologize. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Do you prefer 
Now what? We're Boxers gonna, we're or briefs? Nothing. Nothing. I'm sorry. Okay, that wasn't a question, but I'm glad that we went there. Yeah, we went there. Have you ever gotten tabletop RPG fatigue? Like, have you been in too many games and you've had to take a break? From GMing, absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah, when you're GMing multiple games, it can get really crazy. Uh, when you're playing, it's, it's, it's entirely different. Um, it's an entirely different buzz that I get from playing a game. Um, it, I feel like when I'm playing a game, it's almost like, it's like cocaine. It's like, ah, like you just kind of have like this rush. Uh, whereas I feel like playing, uh, sorry, whereas I feel like um, GMing a game is a lot like being a parent and seeing your kid do really mm. well. And there's kind of like that, you know, that release of pride and of like, I did something good. Um, and so it can be really exhausting to, you know, have to like completely shift gears one day doing, uh, you know, a Ravnica game to, you know, going in and doing something with Shadowrun. Because even though like the, um, yeah, it's a big, you know, congested city, uh, but the the tone is entirely different and the stories are entirely different and you can get things mixed up and my god how many times have i used the same voice for this npc oh my god right yeah that's, oh i hate it when that happens i hate it when that happens it's like hey that shopkeep is the same voice for that ceo yeah. we and just as talked it's to happening as it comes out of your mouth you're like <clears throat> dang it god damn i gotta practice this and yeah. then you never do and then you <laughs> then you have to like write down notes for like which like what the voice of that character sounds like yep. or what it reminds you oh, of. i do that it's all the time the worst <laughs> i try to find a character from popular media that is close to it and be like, remember that, remember mm -hmm. that, remember that, and then you still mess up. You still mess up. You still mess it up. No. Do you prefer being a game master or a player? Player, if I'm being honest. Okay. Uh, I, I we only a, call the show Game Masters for fun. That's so. fine. No, <laughs> I have a lot of fun uh, game mastering. I absolutely do. Um, and uh, I, I definitely want to continue doing it. But there is, like I said, it, it, it feels like uh, like you're just kind of taking this really fun, exhilarating drug where you've created this character that you have attachments to in various ways and then seeing what fresh hell uh, game masters can put them through. Right. Though, I, though I will say I do get a particular amount of joy of uh, destroying my players in some regards. Okay, so you're a sadistic GM. <laughs> There's a little bit of sadistic GM in there. I mean, I'm a Joss Whedon fan, so I'm mm. all about that, uh, you know, having there be just a little bit moment of, uh, moment of lightness and then you're dead. Right, right after the moment of life. Right after the moment of life. Everyone's sharing that hug, and now you die. And then a spear comes through their guts, and everyone's dead. Uh, there, there definitely is that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that makes me happy. Well, let's go ahead and shift into game mastering, even though we shift. know now it's not something you enjoy. Shut up! I enjoy it! <laughs> Get out of here! Get out of your own house! <laughs> what does being a game master mean to you? Being a game master to me means uh, being responsible for four to five people's happiness for an afternoon and I sweat over it and I get really into it. And that's honestly, probably if I could take some like beta blockers, I probably would <laughs> per prefer GMing over uh, being a player. Uh, so you think it's the pressure? It's definitely the pressure. It's like a performance thing. It's like, I, I feel like I have um, a lot of pressure pressure to deliver in a lot of aspects. Like you have to have a command of your characters, a command of your story, a command of the mechanics. And, you know, all of my players are thankfully like the most supportive, wonderful people I've ever played with. So, uh, you know, that, that's good, but it's also like really nerve wracking when you're just trying to, uh, get from point A to point B, you're trying to get them to that location where that really cool set piece you've created is. And then they're like, no, I want to go rob that, uh, soy, that seven 11 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm trying to think of what they call it, uh, in Shadowrun. Is it not? What is it again? I can't remember. It's, 
damn it, it's like soy. Everything is soy. Everything in Shadowrun is, is, is soy, basically, because in the future, there's no real food. Uh, so what is it? Soy box? I think it's soy box. Yeah. Soy calf? Soy calf. Soy calf. Yep, I think that's it. Kyle restoring my... I should stop looking. Uh, this is false validation because I haven't seen it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's false. What have you learned from other game masters by playing at their table or watching or listening to their live plays? Since you did mention that you, you actually enjoy watching other people's yeah. RPG streams, you know, what, what lessons have you learned from others? Um, lessons that I've learned from others, uh, trying to be cognizant of everyone's kind of like mood and um, how they're feeling about the game and being empathic enough to kind of like shift the game to kind of like suit uh, you know, if you feel people are checking out or if you feel people aren't having as, much, uh, as good of a time. Uh, I think that there are um, a lot of GMs that I've played with that do a really good job of, like, checking in with people in really clever ways and figuring out ways to, you know, uh, uh, make them feel a part of the game, especially if they're new to the game. Because um, I can't tell you how many horror stories I've heard of people that with terrible GMs where they show up to a game with a new character um, and, you know they basically are ignored for the entirety of the stream or the, or the session. Uh, and then they're just kind of like, oh yeah, sorry, we didn't get to T.O. or whatever your character's name was. And it's like, they've been there the whole time. <laughs> like, I don't care how invested you are in your other storylines. Like when another person takes time out of their day to show up and go to your session and make a character and get involved and, you know, bring snacks or whatever they do, uh, you owe it to them to make them feel welcome and to As make their them facilitator of fun. Yeah. Like you owe it to them. And I feel like some people, uh, get off on the, um, on the kind of like the power aspect of it. And to me, it isn't about power. It's about, like I said, like shouldering this responsibility of making sure that people have a good time. Uh, and that people are entertained and that people um, are satisfied with what goes on. I'm a big fan of having a guest come on. And this is, of course, in a show situation mm -hmm. of having a guest come on and uh, telling my players, like, we need to get to a place to introduce this guest. And then they spend an hour debating on how to get there instead of just going there after just already go. giving them the green light to do it. <laughs> That's the worst. Like, you could just say we go. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just say we go. Yeah, we just go there. We're there right now. Oh, yeah. boom. You're there. Yeah. Done. It's Final Fantasy Congrats. logic. Here's our we, guest that's been sitting yeah. here an hour. Yeah, we clicked a button and we're now we're there. All right, we flew the airship to the damn location. Like, I hate that. That's the worst. Especially in Shadowrun where you can just hop in a car and go places. Like, right? Yeah, it's similar in the games I usually run. There's usually a very easy form of transportation that you can just say, Yeah. We go. We go there. Let's go. Yeah. Roll a, if, if the GM wants to be a real big dick, they can like roll a D6 to see if something happens. But most of the time, nothing will happen. Right. If we you do, need to get there, nothing should happen. And kids on bikes, it's usually like the flight system. If you, if you say that you're doing it in a hurry, you know, yeah. if you want to like hop in a car and drive off, you're yeah. going to roll for that. But if it's just like, all right, let's all go, everybody, and everyone's in agreeing, and, and oh. it's just like, oh, okay, fine. As a GM, I'm not going to stop you from doing that if it's a, especially if there's a guest that's been sitting for an hour waiting to speak. Yeah. <laughs> just, just well, I just want to give a special shout out to Chloe with her introduction. With, with the mother character because yeah. watching chat like erupt while she's just sitting there perfectly still with her glasses was yep. hysterical. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> it was so good. It was really good. Is it, and, and I know this is an age-old debate, but I ask every single person that comes on this show, is it okay for the GM to be dishonest or to fudge the numbers for the sake of the story? Absolutely. You're going to lie about those roles? Uh, if I feel like there is, if I feel like there's a good reason to keep that character around, mm -hmm. 
Um, actually, I should, I should say that. There's Shadowrun, I definitely do not fudge as much. D&D, not so much. Shadowrun, I feel like tonally, I feel like it's, it's, there's supposed to be this kind of like real edgy, like bad shit happens, runs go, runs go crazy. And, and yeah. you know, good Shadowrun players, like, you know, uh, good Shadowrunners, you know, they, they have weapons on them and they're prepared to fight if they have to, but you're not there to fight. You're there to get in and get out. You're there to, you know, perform, you're mercenaries. You know, you're there to perform a job. Like unless your job is to specifically kill somebody, you know, combat should be a last resort always. And I find that it's so much more fun to watch people try to problem solve without using their fists. Um, D and D I don't necessarily, I, I feel like I am more inclined to fudge things because, uh, I have noticed that with my D and D players, they get a little bit more attached to them than Shadowrun players. Uh, I don't know why, but it just feels like with some of my Shadowrun players, so-and-so dies, they're kind of okay with it. They can always roll another I character. I think it's the meta of the game itself. You yeah. know, Shadowrun kind of sets you up and says that you're not a superhero. Yeah. You're a mercenary. You're expendable. You're expendable, whereas yeah. D&D sets you up like you're larger than life. Yeah, you're, you're, you're ascending to be a god of some yeah. sort. Yeah. Um, so I think in that regard, I'm definitely more inclined to fudge things a little bit. Um, my favorite thing, though, is to just not... It, it, I try to work it out in such a way where I don't have to fudge numbers. Like, you know, maybe the, maybe the Hydra that's about to kill, you know, uh, Kelsey's character decides that it's going to, uh, shift towards Will's character who has more HP. You know what I mean? Like trying to figure out something within the story, within the situation that could change so that you, you know, they don't die, but, uh, uh, there's still an, an air of, um, drama and tension of stakes, that sort of thing. Okay. You don't want people to feel like you're, you know, that they're playing in a padded room. Right. You know. Right. Yeah, I think sometimes... Fortunately, I feel in the opposite situation. Again, I, I, I don't GM home games, so it's a different experience. Mm-hmm. The problem I usually run into is the audience is helping the characters so much in our interactive situations. That must, I, that's something I actually hadn't even considered. Yeah, that must right. be really frustrating. So it doesn't matter how well I roll <laughs> or, not a, or how high I set the difficulty, you know, uh, things like that. But I have to be thinking from a story standpoint, like, well, what can I introduce story-wise that makes them feel that they have to work harder yeah. when sometimes it's, it's pretty easy for them to succeed things that shouldn't be that easy to mm-hmm. succeed for yeah. the sake of the story. So I'm, I'm okay with fudging story elements in that regard as a player. Do you think it's okay to fudge your numbers? Absolutely not. No, no. I call it out too. I yeah. call that. I, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Uh, my roommate is really guilty of it okay. and I'm not okay with it. Okay. <laughs> so there is definitely a line for you as the GM. You're facilitating the fun for everybody. There's a chance that to make things move forward, you'll fudge. But as a player, you got to be honest. Yes, I'd, I'd say so. I, Because I, I, you're not the one in the driver's seat of the story. And, you know, uh, also I'll call my roommate out again. Uh, he, he fudges the stupidest things. <laughs> like, it's not even in combat, but it's always like in social situations. You know what I mean? It's always like, no, I charmed the pants off her. And it's like, did you, Keenan? Did you? Did you really? Or did you repulse her? All right. I saw that 12 that you rolled. You're going to need more. You're going to do better than that. Yeah. Usually I do that as a player. I, I don't like being a rules lawyer. But sometimes you just need that one person in the group that is going to be the rules lawyer for you. I find failure more exciting than success. I wish more people did. Um, Because my life is very successful. (laughs) I am so successful. I think in games, especially especially games that are built around exploring, Mm -hmm. I think failure is more fun. Mm -hmm. I have always told myself in the back of my head that if 
if need be, I would fudge for failure. Okay. To make the story better as a player. Yeah. Luckily for me, I've never had to do that because failure has come so easy. <laughs> and it just naturally the happens. Yeah. The gods and of failure. And keeps things moving here. forward. Yeah. In that regard. But also as a player, I'll put myself in situations and try to do things. I know it's more likely for me to fail. And I don't mean to do that in a, in a way that is um, disruptive to the party. Mm-hmm. It should be honest to the player. Yeah. And because I think in real life, if you're being honest with yourself, how often do we as people think we're really good at something that we're not? Me talking to other people. That's okay. <laughs> I think often we have a bloated sense of ourselves. And I think yeah. that should transfer over to the way that you portray someone in a role-playing scenario Absolutely. that you might have a bloated sense of yourself and what you can accomplish, mm-hmm. though your stats may say otherwise. Yeah. And you might lead yourself to believe that I should be the one that handles this situation, even though you have the lowest stat in the group. And to do it in a way that's not disruptive, but in a way that adds to the story and to the drama and everything that's going down. But that comes back to me thinking that these games should be story-driven and not necessarily mechanics driven yeah but i digress you can do whatever you want yeah some people some people get really off get get their get their yucks on uh uh mid-maxing and um that's if that's how you want to run a game that's cool uh i mean it also depends upon the game like i'm about to uh my friend will's gonna be running a ravenloft campaign on saturday uh because his dad who hasn't played D &D in forever is gonna be visiting him and we're gonna be like showing him fifth edition uh so we know we're gonna be fighting vampires so i was just like you know what i'm just gonna mid max and just make a radiant character just for funsies because whatever it's just you know we're trying to you know uh get his dad in and you know have a good time and i also don't want my character to die but whatever (laughs) it's also a very lethal campaign setting if you haven't if you've checked it out Mm -mm. uh curse of strahd yeah i've heard a lot about it but i have not played it i don't play DD much um so i only know things in by the by i'm also working on a secret project right now that i can't tell people about and i'm having to like research (gasps) a lot and um not for me to GM, though. Mm-hmm. I, I, like I said, there's always someone better. I'm yeah. a real big believer, and if there's someone who spent more time with something and they're more qualified, hire them. Yeah. Hire the better person for the job. Yeah. I get asked a lot, like, why don't you do this or why don't you do that? And I'm like, because I am replaceable. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, it's good that you know your, your limitations, I guess. You, you have know? to. Or, yeah, yeah. You have to. Yeah. Uh, and I mean this from a work standpoint. Not from a game at home standpoint. Yeah. And I think that's a distinction I'm always going to have a hard time making on this show because I know a lot of the people who are watching us live know us in a live setting from an entertainment standpoint. Yeah. But people who may be listening to the podcast might be people at home who play home games. They want advice on how to better their home games yeah. and be better game masters for their friends. Um, I think in an entertainment standpoint as a streamer, I should definitely be asking myself, Am I the person that should be GMing this? Mm -hmm. And if I don't have 100% yes on that, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Uh, yep. There's someone better for it. There's going to be somebody better suited to do it out there. To to reframe, I want to reframe that uh, because I'm trying to do good in therapy. But it's not about knowing your limitations. It's about playing to your strengths. How about does is that better? I think that's better. Okay. <laughs> Forget yeah. limitations and think about what are you good at and what are other people good at. Yes. And yeah, who is who is better at it than you in an objective fashion? There are objective ways to measure how good you are at things. Right. And yeah. I would also say if you are a streamer and you're listening to this and you're thinking about starting your own games. Another thing to ask is there, there's a lot of other factors that go into it. You're about to put yourself out into the world and are you the absolute best person for it? And how many others exactly like you are doing it? And could there be a better voice for it that can serve that story better 
to remove yourself from it then. Yeah. I think people should do that more often and ask themselves, should I be the one up here talking about this? Eh, probably not. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. <laughs> okay. One of my favorite BoJack Horseman lines, like, I know nothing about this topic, but because I'm a straight white man, I will go forward with confidence and pretend I'm succeeding. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish it wasn't true. I love BoJack Horseman. I do too. And there's so much honesty and truth in that. And I know it's hard for some people to hear, but from a... From a business standpoint, as a person who runs a company that deals with talent all the time, I will not ever name names. I'm never going to be that kind of person. But I can tell you, no one has ever come to me less qualified and more confident than straight white men. And we know this all the time. When we're, when we're building new shows out, when we are <laughs> setting up projects, and they're not bad people. They're not doing it in a way to be like, they're not doing it out of malice. It's, it's yeah. just the world that they've been fortunate enough to live in mm-hmm. um, and I, that I myself live in as well. There yeah. are certain people that we know will come to us and just be like, I want to do this thing. I want to be the person that's in charge of this or why can't yeah. I do this? Yeah. And the, the biggest issue that we have to overcome often, especially in this space, is people of color or marginalized groups don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable or confident enough to even come up to us yep. and demand the same things. Yep. They don't feel like they can just walk right up to us and say, oh, you're doing a thing? I should do that. Yep. I should be the one that's doing that. Yep. It's almost always a straight white man. And we have to tell them, like, I don't think you're the right voice for that. I yep. think we need to find someone else. And this has happened numerous times from a business standpoint where we have to kind of backpedal. I can't imagine. Uh, uh, if you guys aren't familiar with um, Jackie Cation at all, um, Jackie Cation and Laurie Kilmartin, they're, they're two of my favorite comedians. Okay. Uh, Jackie has a podcast called The Dork Forest, which everyone uh, associated with your channel should go out and listen to because it's lovely. She's a nerd comedian. She's actually the first time that I ever heard a comedian do nerd-related material and succeed at it. And so uh-huh. she was like very influential in, in how I grew as a comedian. Anyway, in their podcast, they talk a lot about um, poking and about how uh, they, you know, they have, um, they have like a comic of the week where they always bring up a female comic that they want to, you know, exalt and give the spotlight to. And um, they're often, they often talk about how, um, you know, like one of the reasons why they feel like um, a lot of straight white men succeed more than women or people of color or people of marginalized groups is because uh, they are, like straight white men are so much more uh, comfortable with poking, poking again and again and again. Hey, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Well, they, if and you think something is owed to you, you're more likely to follow up on it. If, 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 if whether or not you feel like it's owed to you, or whether or not that's just how, like, no one has. It, I'll say this, but when it comes to women or people of color or people of marginalized groups, they'll poke, and if they don't get a response, they'll take that as a rejection, and so they don't poke again. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that I've been dealing with in my own personal and professional life is to go for no, you know, to always just keep. Pushing and to get a hard has, no. Yeah, like hard polite, no. Hard no. Okay, cool. I'll I'll take that hard no and I will move on. But until you know you, you get that hard no, you know you should just always politely keep putting yourself back out there. And if you know eventually people will take yeah. notice. But that's a hard thing for a lot of people when you've been told again and again, you know, passively and aggressively that you're not wanted and that you're not useful. Yeah. You know, like that that can be a really hard thing to shake. And I do want to make a clarification for our audience, because I, I, I understand that a lot of people watching this or listening to this are probably straight white men, because that is the demographic that participates the most in these kinds of and properties guess what? and things and guess like what? that. You're lovely. 
yeah, you're, 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 you're probably great. And you may have social anxieties and that means I'm not talking about you. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind when I, when I'm making this generalized statement, it's a very specific kind of person that we deal with, uh, as a company. And for one, this is probably a person or a group of individuals who are all talent, Mm -hmm. who have a sense of confidence already to put themselves out there in Los Angeles, which is a huge thing to overcome huge in any personality type uh, to, to already put yourself out there. It's just from a purely statistical standpoint, the percentage of people who come to us with show ideas with um, uh, w- or, or just wanting to be in a position of power. Yeah. And it's, you know, we, we have to kind of always harp back to like, yeah, this sounds great. We would love to, but we need to like yeah. give somebody else a shot. Yeah. And that's you know? wonderful. I think, I think that you guys do a good job of that. Cause yeah, there's, there's plenty of spaces for you to go out and do it on your own, but you know it, it says a lot about the uh, the character of your company that you're willing to but you know give platforms. to I that. will go back on that and just remind everyone again: this is talking about it from a business standpoint and not a home game standpoint. You do you for your home games, but I will like to add in there: mix it up in your home games, and you're going to have more fun. Yep, that's that's the T. You will. That's the T. You will. Uh, play with people who you know are like-minded, and I think the best way to do this might be going to your local game shop. And, and honestly, like, step outside of your comfort zone a hair. Mm-hmm. You don't have to fully, like, jump out. You don't have to fully, like, go way out on the deep end. But if somebody's at a game store, they're already in your friend group. They're yeah. already there. They want to experience similar things that you do. Mix it up a little bit. Yeah. Don't, don't play with the same people you've been playing with for 20 years because uh, then you're going to end up sitting at a table that's all kind of circulating the same ideas. And you yourself don't get to grow as a storyteller and as a performer or... And, and I know sometimes it's not about that. It's about having fun with your friends. And that's valid. Um, but I think you could learn a lot about yourself and the world by playing games with people that are, are, have a different perspective on the world. Yeah, and It's one gonna, of the best places to learn. Yeah, and are going to create characters that are interesting that you haven't seen before. Totally. You know, like how many, how many haunted paladins have we seen? <laughs> the world doesn't need another haunted paladin. Uh, you know, let's, let's try to expand upon that. <laughs> no, no, he's like Batman, but like in D&D. Like no one needs to hear that, Chad. No one needs to see that. I'm so, by the way, I'm also very sorry to all the Chads in the world because Chad is the go-to like straight white guy name that Chad's I Chad's and Karen, to. I'm sorry. Chad's and Karen. Karen, the, Dane Cook owes you that apology. <laughs> Not me. Not me. <laughs> How do you feel it's different to GM for a home game versus a show on the internet or for a convention? Um, GMing at home, there's, I mean, the, the stakes are a lot smaller. Um, you're going for the tastes and conventions of people that you have, that you know. Um, and so that can be really easy to cater to. Um, when you're streaming on a, a, a show, I mean, I haven't, uh, had the, the pleasure of, of, um, doing it for you guys yet, but, uh, you know, it can be, uh, really daunting to think like, well, this is fun for me, and this is fun for the people that I play with at home. Yeah. But are, is this going to be fun for an audience? You right. know, like, is this type of story going to translate well, or am I? Am I? Are, are my players going to get weighed down in minutia, or are we going to be able to just jump right into cool stuff? You know, that can be really daunting. I imagine. Also, you know, like technical stuff can go wrong, and then you have to like roll with that, and you have to like be, you know, uh, protean in that regard, um, and that can throw you off. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just. Anxiety town, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the anxiety aspect is is big. Um, do you, for instance, in your home games, mm-hmm. do you like to create an atmosphere, or are you more of like, let's chill and have fun, break out the mm-hmm. snacks, 
you know, uh, break out the beers, have a good time. I've just recently started playing with uh, atmosphere music. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, the other the other DM I play with has like created whole playlists for certain characters, which is awesome. Like one of my favorite things that he does is every time. Um, uh, Asmodeus is now in one of our uh, D&D campaigns and anytime he pops up he plays this really creepy jazz music yeah. uh, which is really lovely and I, I love that um, uh, yeah I don't really like I've never had anyone dress up before um, I've never done that I mean other than like LARPing but that's an entirely different animal it is yeah, um, yeah which I you know I'm down to I'm down to LARP every now and then is there anything that you won't accept at your table do you have any hard nose for your table uh, anything that is an allegory for Batman. Yeah, no Batman. <laughs> um, a very Batman. strict no Batman. Very strict no Batman. Okay. Like this thing, you know, thank God we're at a 3.5 so no one can play a black guard anymore. Um, the, that, was, that was basically a paladin, but Batman. Um, what else? Uh, I guess you could also say an Oath of Vengeance would also be another Batman. But yeah, no more Batman. Um, no one wants to see any more Batman. Uh, what else? Um, I... Any X-nays, like, rule-wise or where characters take them? Um, And where people take characters? Yeah. I think that um, I try to keep an open mind with what people want to do. I try to be as accommodating as possible. Um, I do think that some people... You know what? One thing that I do not tolerate, I do not tolerate when people refuse to role-play at all. That is one thing where, like, if, if if you think it's dumb, if you don't want to like have that aspect of it. I don't really want you at my games. And it's not because I think you're a bad player. That's totally a valid way of playing, um, a tabletop RPG, but for your table that you're GM for my table. No, you're going to have to get silly. You're going to have to get out of your head. You're going to have to really dive in and think about what your character is doing and saying, even at a very basic level, you know, I, I think that's, because uh, other people at my table are going to be doing that. And mm-hmm. so I definitely don't want people to feel like they're being judged for doing that. Okay. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Um, also, uh, also, if you got weed, you got to share with me. That's, that's, yeah. If you're not sharing your weed with me, then, yeah, get out of my table. So that's a hard no, is if you have it, you have to share. You it. have to share it with me, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I was about to say, what do you like to encourage at your table from your players? <laughs> Sharing your drugs with me. Uh, no. Uh, as I said before, uh, yeah, role playing is probably one of the biggest things uh, because to me, it gives me a lot to work with in terms of story. It gives me a lot to play with with how NPCs interact with you. Um, it also gives me a good idea of where you want to go with your character. You know, like it gives me kind of a blueprint with where I want you guys to go. Uh, development wise, like uh, I always go back to talk about Will with his Dan character and how he was an immortal elf this whole time. You know, like he was always bringing up like the addiction problems in the game, and he was never really giving me like a concrete reason mm-hmm. or incident that uh, explained why he was relying so much on drugs uh, and alcohol to escape himself. Uh, but he was always bringing it up. So I was like, well, I really want to explore this and come up with a really interesting idea of why you have this subconscious need to escape yourself. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that, that, that instance, it really helped me. Okay. Was there ever a time that you felt like you failed as a game master? No, I'm amazing. I do a, an amazing job every time. I've already um, seen your confidence issues shine through, so tell me yeah. what you failed. <laughs> it just slice open my <laughs> arm and just falls out of me. 
Yeah, I think probably the first few times I, you know what, I, I won't get into specifics, but I will say that one time that I mentioned earlier with Riley Silverman, that okay. was definitely a bad day uh, for me as a GM. And I feel like mostly it was because I felt like I, um, I don't feel like I was making, I don't feel like I was doing my due diligence to like control the room and make it like a cool place. You know okay. what I mean? I feel like I was incredibly scattered. I was incredibly anxious. I hadn't DM'd in like six years and I was just, I was also doing fifth edition for the first time and I was just focused on the rules and I wasn't thinking about the social aspect of it. And, um, yeah, I completely failed in that regard. And, you know, maybe one day when Riley and I are mega stars, we can talk about that day. But yeah, that was, uh, that was definitely a fail on my part. And I, I regret that. Okay. I think that, I think that should be one thing that DM should always think about is maintaining a good social atmosphere. It's yes. Yeah. It's tough. Mm -hmm. It is very tough. Because people, you're bringing your baggage, they're bringing their baggage. You need to be able to recognize when that's bleeding out mm -hmm. and how to shift it and whether or not you need to put a stop to it. Yeah, absolutely. Go to the side, break, you know, deal with it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Read the room. I should have known that as a comedian. I, yeah, I wasn't reading the room. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you for sharing. Yeah, I try. What do you think, outside of the game that you're making, tabletop RPGs are missing? What do you want to see in the world of tabletop RPGs? I want to see... Outside of Desperate Housewives. Outside of <laughs> Real Housewives, not the Desperate... They are pretty desperate. Um, uh, I want to see more... I want to see games that encourage... Um, uh, that encourage, encourage interesting ways of um, role-playing, um, that give uh, mechanical bonuses dictated by the DM to people that are really trying and putting themselves out there. Um, again, I go back to Anarchy because I think Anarchy does a really good job of this. And I think that um, some streams do a good job of this where you see a player um, playing a certain way and you can be like, oh yeah, well here's an extra, you know, here's an extra God point essentially. Um, I think that that's always helpful. I think, um, what else would I like to see? I'd like to see just more interesting stories with more diverse more diversity, as, as I feel like I feel pretty hacky saying that, but uh, a lot of the stories can feel kind of the same after a certain point of time. So I would like to see more, more variety. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to shift it over to some tips, tips that you and might tricks. be willing to share sure. with people who are listening, mm -hmm. whether it's for their home games or for stream games, whichever. Sure. What advice would you give to someone who's just now getting ready to start as a game master, moving over from a player? Um, really sit down and journal like what you want your game to be upfront, just pie in the sky. Try not to get too into the nitty gritties. Be like, this is how I want the game to end. This is how I want it to begin and accept the fact that everything in the middle is going to change that, <laughs> you know, like you might have uh, a, a defined ending in, in, in mind, but it might go a completely different direction and you should always be open to that. So always journal, try to figure out what your individual voice is, try to figure out how you want your table to feel. Um, and uh, yeah, just really kind of free write it, free write it out as much as you can because I feel like that gives you a good sense of uh, tone and um, intention uh, and uh, yeah. Okay. Tone and intention, free write, it's good. Tone, intention, figure it out ahead of time. Mm -hmm and establish that with your players as well. Yes. And make sure that everybody's on the same page. And make, yeah, and be comfortable with the fact that what you wrote down is probably going to go down the trash. 
because they're probably going to be like, oh, let's let's argue with this shopkeep for a while. <laughs> it happens. You have a chaotic, stupid wizard throw a fireball at a shopkeep. Yeah. It happens a lot. It happens too much. Uh, do you suggest or have any props that you've worked with that you think were really fun to bring to the table to help with the experience? Sure. Uh, let me think. Props-wise, I don't think I've, I've ever really like incorporated a solid prop, um, but I do have a lot of experience with like writing out puzzles and stuff oh, onto like, cool. pieces of paper. Like I do love bringing, a, uh, I love bringing a good puzzle for people. Yeah, I think that's always fun. Can you give me an example? Uh, like a word puzzle? Sure. Or mm -hmm. something that you've done in a game that worked really well. Uh, I, so one thing in Shadowrun, um, there's the Matrix, which is like a different level of reality. Um, it's essentially just like the movie, The Matrix. You kind of jack into uh, the internet and you're kind of like living inside of it. Uh, and so um, a lot of my characters, a lot of my, sorry, I should say, a lot of my players felt really intimidated by the Matrix and the mechanics, so none of them really played uh, Matrix-type characters like Deckers. Uh, so I, the NPCs were always those people. Uh, so I made a campaign where they, they actually had to go inside the Matrix at a certain point, and they actually had to like solve for clues and whatnot. And what I did was I gave them... Uh, you know that um, ink that kind of burns off? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I gave them like a, a rough idea of like what the icon looks like that they were looking for, that one specific icon. Uh, and I basically hit it inside... Like it was kind of like um, like Highlights Magazine, how they always had those hidden objects, you know. Like I gave them a, a rough idea of where the icon was located within this certain section of the matrix, uh, and they they basically had to look at it. And every time they got um, a certain hit, uh, I took a lighter to like one of the sides of the paper, and it kind of like slowly revealed like where the icon was. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, that's rad. Yeah, I thought that was cute. That's really neat. <laughs> What are some useful products, software, books, or other tools that uh, have helped you grow as a storyteller? Products, product-wise, um, I think the... I actually haven't incorporated it into uh, a session yet, but I have been looking at the D&D, like, Roll20 nonsense that you can get. Uh, I say nonsense as a good thing, by the way. Uh, you mean D&D Beyond or Roll20? D&D Beyond, that's it. Okay. Uh, no, I think the D&D Beyond thing is really cool in terms of uh, being able to have that amount of data at a command. Uh, I think that's really fun. Uh, I have not incorporated it into... Uh, my sessions at all, but because I'm broke and I can't buy them, I can't buy the digital stuff. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I would love to. I would love to be rich enough to afford all that and just you know sit down and have my players all have tablets. You know, yeah. I, I I hope that's a thing that happens soon. Yeah, where we can just do it all on tablets. Mm -hmm. mm. They got really sad for a moment. Me? Yeah. Well, it's just because I'm broke and I get really sad when I think about how desperate I am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we, aren't we all? I own three pairs of shoes. <laughs> three. That's a lot. I, really? Yeah. Well, one of them is a pair of house shoes that uh, you, I wear in the shower at the gym. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that is sad. I know. That is sad. I, it's two and some slippers. It's exactly. <laughs> it's two and some They're slippers. waterproof. <laughs> that is, that is a plus. Are there shoes. any books or... Uh, even podcasts that you as a storyteller have been valuable to you to help you grow? Um, 
I always think that if there's sub, if there's um, like expanded universe content for whatever um, universe you're getting into, whether it's Shadowrun or D and D or Pathfinder, odds are someone has written fan fiction about it. I encourage everyone to go into it and uh, just guns a blazing and read everything because uh, you know the story that you want to tell might be entirely different from the story that you know the people that have been reading it forever want to tell, and you can really do a good job of seeing. Uh, the choices that other people have made and contrasting them with your own. Um, yeah, I, I, especially for something like Shadowrun, where like the world is inc- like it's it's been around for a really long time, and you know everything is pre-made, and you want to make sure that you have like the lingo down so that you're as faithful as possible to your players, so that you're giving them an authentic experience. Okay, so, I like that stuff. Cool. Yeah, I recently had to GM a cyberpunk game. Ooh, nice. So I had to dive pretty deep into that, and I read a bunch of extra material. Mm-hmm. What, what, uh, what, what were you reading? Were you reading some... Uh, uh, I'm, I decided instead of going directly into the cyberpunk old books, mm-hmm. mainly because they were hard to find. Sure, yeah. Uh, I went into just straight up uh, more cyberpunk books that influenced Shadowrun and cyberpunk, yeah, like yeah. Snow Crash and stuff like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, and hard-boiled at the end of the world. Uh, also checked out some comic books mm-hmm. and things like that. Just because I, I agree, as a creator, I need to fully wrap my head into that world. Yeah. And make sure that I'm getting the tropes, getting the concepts and things down to give the players an enjoyable experience. Yeah. Uh, especially one that like you can replicate. You know, like you want to make sure that your world feels consistent. Um, and uh, yeah, if you dive into the world one day and you haven't really done the research and then you do some of the research, your players might be like, oh, this feels kind of inconsistent, mm-hmm. you know, so. Okay, well, before we go, I wanted to open it up to some questions from the chat room. So hopefully the mods have put a couple questions in Discord. I will I will check right now. And Kyle, it looks like we got some. Why are you such a hateful bigot? What do you think your um, strengths are as a GM? And how does your stand-up comedy background factor into being a GM or a player? I think one of my strengths as a GM is um, coming up with NPCs on the fly that feel like they're going to be throwaways that actually end up being really fun. Um, and I think that my background as a comedian, being able to read the room and feel which NPCs people are responding to and aren't, uh, I think that really helps me. And I think um, one of my favorite instances of this was in my Shadowrun game where my players had to go find this elf lady who was like this rich heiress, Paris Hilton-like lady who was at a club, and they had to t- they had to get... They had to get to her father, who was an immortal elf, and um, she was um, uh, drunk and on a bunch of drugs, and none of my players, except for Will's character, drink or do any sorts of drugs. Uh, And so they basically, I was like, yeah, you guys are gonna have to sit down and do drugs with her. And (laughs) and so I was improvising all of the dumb things that uh, a socialite who was like hopped up on, you know, cyberpunk cocaine Mm -hmm. uh, would think of. And uh, I think one of the things she was like, yeah, I have this really good idea. It's a a purse, but it's got a tongue in it. It's got a purse, it's a purse with a tongue in it. And just everybody, I don't know what it was. Maybe we were all delirious from playing for eight hours. I don't know. But <laughs> eight hours. Yeah, it, it it can go pretty long. Wow. Um, yeah, they just loved it. And now, like tongue purse is like one of our little hashtags that we do in our group. It's so stupid. <laughs> it's not dumb at all. Yeah, that's fun. How do you encourage players who are shy to do more RP? Since that's such an important thing to you. Um, I think the most important thing with making sure that people RP is making them feel safe making them feel like they're not going to be judged. And I feel like there's a way to 
uh, if I can, if I sense that people are hesitant to RP, maybe they're shy or whatever, I feel like there are ways to uh, give them small little tastes of it at first that eventually blossom into them fully, fully are role playing. So a good example I think would be like, you know, if, um, if a character's playing and I feel like they're a little shy, I'll do a little scene where it's just one on the one on one with them and like an NPC from like a close friend or person in their lives and just kind of giving them a little moment where they don't have to worry about other people interjecting, really making them feel like I'm your GM. I got your back. I want you to have a good time and I want you to feel comfortable to do that. And, um, yeah, I feel like that's a good way to start. And then eventually, you know, make, maybe make it a scene with them, the GM and one other player, and then like slowly open it up to where they feel like they can, uh, um, uh, let their let their freak flag fly. I guess if that's a way of saying it. The, I mean, it's a way I would say it. Yeah, let, let your that's what kids say, right? Let your freak flag fly. If by kids you mean like we were using that as a term, like <laughs> yeah, 12, bearded thirty year olds, thirteen years ago. <laughs> uh, somebody said post ghost is a unique form of role playing without rolling. Have you ever done any RPGs like it before? Um, I've done LARPing, mm-hmm. which uh, is similar. In a, to a certain degree, um, I LARPed uh, a World of Darkness game way back when, uh, where I was playing a uh, Glasswalker Garu, which are the term for werewolves. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I loved it. I felt like it. It's really cool because it kind of feels like you know someone gives you like a rough outline of what's supposed to happen, and then you just kind of roll with it and challenges are thrown at you and you kind of have to think on your feet. Um, when I was LARPing before, uh, in the world of darkness game, like there was a lot of like little fun, little puzzle solving that I could do that I could focus on. Uh, my character was really into puzzles and cryptography. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely not like anything I've done before because there's an audience watching and, it's also, it, to me, it's like better than doing improv at like a UCB or mm-hmm. a IO because like, I don't feel as much of a pressure to be funny. Uh, I feel like the pressure is to just be genuine and be in the moment. And I, 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 I've heard that that is the essence of improvisation. Um, but it's really hard for me to do that when I'm in a situation where like I've paid $400 for a class right. and I have a teacher and I have a social system that I have to integrate myself into and I have all this other anxiety and stuff to deal with. Um, it's, it just feels a lot more different because it's like, you know, uh, I know I've, I've known Brandon for years, so, you know, uh, working at Machinima and stuff and like, you guys are lovely. I've had a good time working with you guys. And so I just feel a lot more ready to be comfortable and, and genuine in the moment. Well, good. You're doing a great job so far. That's right. Well, it's really fun. I'm sweaty. <laughs> what is your process like when preparing for an RPG? Um, for playing or for GMing? We'll Should say I just GMing. For GMing. When preparing for an RPG, uh, I like to uh, write out, uh, I like to write out as much as possible, um, freehand, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, I like to give myself like dream goals. Like this is where I really want my players to end up. And then I try to come up with like one or two different ways, like things that they could do or ways that they could end up that I'd be okay with. Not my dream, but it'd be okay if they ended up here. And then I just have to get really, really comfortable with letting all three of those go (laughs) because in all likelihood it's not going to end that way. Um, so I feel like what's most important with an RPG when preparing for it as a GM, 
get comfortable with the fact that your best ideas may never see the light of day. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe they will in other campaigns. Maybe you'll be able to take this idea that wasn't fleshed out in one campaign and bring it into another. Um, but definitely get comfortable with killing your babies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you got to be ready to just watch them fade off into the sunset, like, oh, never to be seen again. That was going to make all of you cry, but okay. It's fine, gone. Fine, now. fine. Yeah, I, forever. Yeah, we'll just do this one where you have sex with the barmaid. Okay, cool. You got, you got her pregnant. Cool. Great. Now you got to deal with that. Now you got to deal with that. Good luck. Yeah. What character types do you like in Shadowrun, and do you have a favorite corporation? My favorite character type to play in Shadowrun is Deckers. Uh, oh, wow. Because I love the Matrix stuff. Okay. I really do. Uh, so this is why you like Anarchy and not the old rules. Uh, yeah, because the Matrix rules in 5th edition were bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I I love Deckers. I love... Um, I, it makes me a little sad that, you know, we're never going to have anything really like the Matrix in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love... Um, I love the idea of being able to be like a cyber sleuth. I think that's really cool. I love the idea that, um, you know, hacking, it's not just like, you know, being like a, hey, I'm acid burned and I'm in, I'm in the system, you know, like mm-hmm. hack the planet. It's, it's much more like, no, you're physically in a space and you have an avatar and it can look like anything. And what you're looking for, you're looking for a file, but the file might be an acorn in some other icons, you know, uh, bin. And you have to like go to there and like solve a whole bunch of puzzles. Like, I, I just love that. I also love the fact that like, because Shadowrun takes place in our universe, you can incorporate so much stuff from the past uh, and, and incorporate it into weird little ways. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Well, I what's, had, sorry, what? Well, I was going to say, what's your favorite corp? Uh, my favorite corp? If you can have a favorite. If I could have a favorite. Uh, they're, they're all shitty. I mean, they're, they're, they're all, all terrible. Yeah, they're, they're all evil. Um, but in terms of like who's the most fun to play, I think as technology is really fun to play because okay. they're the they're the they're not into blood magic, but they're into blood magic. Uh, they do not sacrifice people, but they totally sacrifice people. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they're really fun. Also, like you know, they make all of the food that everybody eats, so it's like, what what's in the food? <laughs> what point? What is it? I don't know. I don't know what you put in there. What'd you put in there as technology? As someone that started with D and D three point five, what are your thoughts on fourth edition? If you've played it, that might be bait. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just gonna say it. Um, I played D and D for customization, and I felt like fourth edition was like playing World of Warcraft. And I've made my peace with that. Fifth edition is awesome. I love 5th edition. Okay. I think that 5th edition is a nice balance between what they were trying to do with 4th edition and 3.5. Okay. So, yeah. I do, however, miss being able to specialize in a whole bunch of skills. That, 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 that makes me sad. That instead of, like, you know, being able to have a whole bunch of skills that you can kind of, like, craft and create, you kind of are given, like, a very limited amount of skills that you can be proficient in. But from a storytelling aspect, that makes sense. That tracks. But... Yeah, fourth so, edition, not my favorite. However, I mean that was the edition that gave us Warforged, so that was that's really cool. Okay. Yeah, I love a good Warforged and Kalashatar. Kalashatar are great. Great, those are words. <laughs> Warforged are like uh, they're like um, ghosts in the shell. They're like magical robots. Yeah. And Kalashatar are like interdimensional aliens that like infected these weird elven monks on a high mountain somewhere. Yeah. Someone said, I love playing board games and card games with kids. Is your card game kid-friendly? Not really. (laughs) (laughs) It's not necessarily that the content is 
bad. There's no overt sex. There's no overt sexuality or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, violence is uh, alluded to. Um, but in terms of kids, like something that's kid friendly, I don't. Th- I feel like if your kid can play Magic: The Gathering, your kid can play my game. Uh, okay. if, if they if they're not into Magic, if it's too complex, if it's too text heavy, may, might not be for them. Magic is pretty complicated. Magic can be pretty complicated, but you know, like I know twelve year olds that play Magic. So. That's true. Yeah, I know that a lot. Of, we know twelve year olds that play Magic better than us. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've been beaten 100%. by probably all of them. <laughs> <laughs> You're only running two colors. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> The last question says, Kyle, your shirt says neutral good. What alignment do you fall towards? Mixed alignments are allowed too. Uh, I actually think I am neutral good. That's why I got it. Neutral good. Yeah. You saw that in the store and you went, oh, okay. I saw it on the, on the internets oh, and okay. I was like, yeah. I think that that's me. Like, it's got a little, it's, it's very sweaty now. I apologize. But it says uh, no law against love. And it says, do not be too quick. Uh, sorry. Do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment. And uh, I think neutral, like the best neutral good example, in my opinion, is Gandalf. And Gandalf is like the coolest to me. Just like, I don't care about any of your, your bullshit. I don't care about any of your laws. I don't care about any of that. I just want to, I just want to save the most people. Okay. You know, Gandalf is your favorite. We've Gandalf covered, is the best. We covered a lot of ground today. We did. <laughs> We've covered a lot of ground. Thank you so much, Kyle, for joining us at the table. Make sure to follow Kyle on his social media accounts to keep up with all of his table adventures. I've been your host, Zach Lim Eubank. Forge a path and expect to get lost. Thank you for listening to Game Masters.